1: And welcome to my favourite work of art, with me, Dr Laura-Jane Foley. Each week, I'm joined in the studio by a guest who tells me all about an artwork that means something to them. Today, my guest is the Speaker of the House of Commons, the Right Honourable John Burko MP. Educated at the University of Essex, John began his political life as the National Chairman of the Federation of Conservative Students. He served as a London Borough Councillor before being elected Member of Parliament for Buckingham in May 1997. In June 2009, he was elected the 157th Speaker of the House of Commons. Since becoming Speaker, John has embarked on an extensive outreach programme travelling across the country to visit schools, universities and community groups to talk about his role and that of Parliament. He has sought to modernise the House of Commons, updating its functions whilst remaining faithful to its historic values. I'm delighted he's joining me today. Welcome, John.
2: Thank you very much, Laura. It's a pleasure.
1: So tell me, what is your favourite work of art?
2: If you'll allow me, I will be greedy and choose two. OK. The first is by Henry Pert the Elder, a 17th century artist, and it's of Speaker Lenthal, William Lenthal, probably the most famous and distinguished speaker in the history of the speakership. He was speaker for 20 years in the 17th century and... He's always remembered as the Speaker who stood up for the rights of the legislature against King Charles I. That's very much about the tradition of the Speakership and the responsibility of the custodian of the office to be the representative and champion of Parliament, of the legislature, of ordinary MPs rather than of a higher power, the government or the king.
1: And it's, um, just to describe it to our listeners, it's a very traditional oil painting. Uh, 17th century, it's very dark. Um, it depicts uh, Speaker Lenthal in ceremonial robes, uh, the black gown, Damascus gown with the gold braids. um, And on the table, the the mace can be seen, uh, the mace being the, the symbol of royal authority. And it's right, isn't it, that the house can only sit if the mace is in place?
2: That's right. That's exactly right. And Lenthal was in many ways a very traditional figure. And indeed, there are people, Laura, who would say that for much of his speakership, he was an unexceptionable Speaker and maybe unexceptional. He discharged the duties, but much of the time, nothing of any great note or significance took place that distinguished him from other speakers. The particular point about Lenthal is that in the period of great conflict between Parliament and Charles I, during the time of the English Civil War, Charles I burst into Parliament with members of his army went up to the Speaker's Chair and demanded to know the whereabouts of five MPs whom he, Charles I, wished to arrest for treason. Bear in mind, and your listeners will recognise, that at that time, you could be thought guilty by the King of Treason for simply wanting to oppose his will, his desire, for example, to raise money to fight foreign wars or the like. And so Charles I said to William Lenthal as Speaker, where are these five MPs? I want to arrest them for treason. To whom? William Lenthal replied, may it please your majesty, I have neither eyes to see nor tongue to speak in this place, save as Parliament shall direct me, whose servant I am here. Now that was his rather circumlocutory way of saying, on your bike, I'm not here to do your bidding. I stand up for the rights of MPs. Now, that would be quite a bold act and spontaneous repost by a speaker to a monarch or a figure of greater authority than the speaker at any time. But the fact that that happened in an era when it was very commonplace for speakers to be forced out of their role well, and even deprived with- of their life...
1: I was going by to an say an angry king aren't there a few makes him very special. Speakers who've been beheaded?
2: Well, I often joke that it's quite wrong when people say that I'm the shortest man ever to be speaker. Sir John Bussey... Speaker of the House 1394 to 1398, Sir John Wenlock, Speaker 1455 to 1456, and Sir Thomas Tresham, Speaker of the House in 1459, are all believed to have been shorter than I am, although I do have to admit, Laura, that this was true only after all three of them had been beheaded. Indeed, no fewer than seven of my predecessors met their end on the executioner's table. One was killed in battle and a further poor unfortunate soul was brutally murdered. So whatever else happens to me, I'm not likely to lose my head. It was really quite commonplace for a Speaker who upset the King, who failed to be what the Speaker then was expected to be, namely the King's spokesman to Parliament, to lose his life. It was as simple as that. Now, Lenthal, presumably cognizant of the risks, recognising that he may be in personal Perel, nevertheless, stood up to Charles I and said what he did. So that makes him very special. So whenever I look at this portrait of Lenthal, and believe me, Laura, I look at it every day. Where is it? It's in the speaker's study. It's directly in my line of vision when I'm chairing meetings every day. It's positioned just above the clock, which is in front of me and a few yards away from me. I think Parliament over executive legislature rights of MPs the importance of facilitating the expression of truth to power so for me doing the job that I do being reminded of probably the greatest holder of the office is salutary and it's inspiring
1: Mm. and it's interesting in the going back to the, the the painting it is interesting the use of the mace because of course he wouldn't have a mace lying there on a table usually. It is almost as if Henry Pert the elder has inserted the mace to sort of remind uh viewers of the portrait of uh the you know the the issue he had with the royal authority um and that very much ornament. so
2: yes I mean it's difficult to be certain because the background is less clear and stark than the portrait of Lenthal himself. So it's not exactly clear to me where Lenthal is either standing or sitting at the time. But certainly the mace wouldn't be in that position in relation to the speaker. It certainly wouldn't be in that position in relation to me. So you're absolutely right. I suppose really I'm just confirming the accuracy of what you're saying, Laura, that I think it's been included in the portrait by Pert as a reminder of what is probably the most significant feature of Lenthal's career, namely his clash with royal authority at a time when royal authority was not what we would, by today's standards, regard as... Remotely legitimate. Mm.
1: It's interesting, of course, that you have picked such a traditional painting. Um, But I understand your explanation now as um, Lenthal being a a, a true defender of Parliament, and that's the allure of the painting to you. Um, It's interesting, of course, because he's wearing such ceremonial clothes. And of course, in your speakership, you've you've not taken that. Uh, You've decided to to wear a, a suit and a robe.
2: You're quite right. I mean, I haven't taken my inspiration from Lenthal or indeed from other speakers in that sense. I think that more as change. Political systems evolve. What is regarded as absolutely to be expected in one era ceases to be in another. I think, not by way of defence, but in the name of explanation, I probably ought to say that I do wear a mourning coat in Parliament on ceremonial occasions and sometimes on the occasion of some very grave commemoration of a particular anniversary or a tragic death of a member, or an assault that has taken place on the prerogatives of Parliament, not necessarily just a constitutional assault, but in recent times, as you will know, a physical assault. But for the most part, you're quite right. I would wear a morning coat only in exceptional circumstances, on ceremonial occasions, and certainly on the occasion when Her Majesty the Queen visits, I would wear the morning coat and the state robe with the sort of gold braid that can be seen on the outer coat or robe, of Lenthal. The rest of the time, you're right, I don't. And why don't I? Well, I suppose I feel that if anything, it's almost a barrier between the Speaker and possibly the rest of Parliament, but more particularly between Parliament and the electorate. And, you know, I don't want to have a lengthy debate on this one narrow, though perhaps interesting point. But broadly speaking, in my nine years in post to date, I have found that some more senior citizens who are fairly traditional say, oh, well, we're sorry you don't wear the morning coat and the full regalia on a day-to-day basis. But as far as most younger voters are concerned, it simply doesn't feature, and it's not something to which they object at all. I think that the idea of wearing stockings and buckled shoes and a jabot and, indeed, a wig is just surreal. It's just weird.
1: Mm. So I don't... You no, know, and uh, it's interesting you talk about that idea of barrier um, because it, I very much pick up the sense that you want Parliament to to reflect the people who, uh, the country, who vote who you into Parliament, uh, which brings us quite neatly onto your second choice, which I believe is a celebration of women's suffrage.
2: It is indeed, as you rightly say, Laura, a celebration of women's suffrage. This is a wonderful and rather innovative piece of ...artwork characterised by, or centred on, lights and multicolored lights. And it's a piece of work entitled New Dawn... ...and it's by somebody who served for a period as our artist in residence in Parliament, Mary Branson. And it's called New Dawn because it is essentially a commentary on... ...or a representation of and a tribute to feminism and the notion of gender equality and the rights of women to vote. And I think I'm right in saying that the miscellany of organisations that collectively made up the suffragist movement used that title to describe and characterise their work, New Dawn, because they felt that the purpose, and in the end, the result of their campaigning efforts was to bring about a new dawn marking this year as you know we are the 100th anniversary of votes for some women is perhaps a suitable occasion on which to highlight this particular piece of Mm. artwork which is important to me but much more important than being important to me i think it is very important to very 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 large numbers of women around the country and throughout the world. And to be fair, to large numbers of men who regard themselves as allies of the female equality cause.
1: Mm. It is a beautiful um, artwork. Just to describe it, it is over six metres high. It's huge. And it sits um, in the entrance to St. Stephen's Hall. And it is made up of uh, glass scrolls in different colours and uh, the light uh, changes over the day so sometimes it's, it's lit differently at different times um, I read that um, the, the the round glass swirls were the, the artist was inspired by the act room where she saw all the scrolls of the old acts rolled up and she was inspired to do this and it, and it does look very similar to it
2: Yes, it does. I mean, that archive room in which the temperature is very important in order to avoid the deterioration of the acts being preserved is not a room that would be commonly viewed by members of the public and in a sense it's almost quite important that access to it is fairly restricted and the conditions are controlled because it has a very specific functional purpose which is to protect not just the existence but the quality of of those acts, some of which date back hundreds of years. I don't recall that, interestingly. It I is. always learn something new <laughs> when I'm doing an interview and I'm as likely as not to learn something new from you, Laura, and today is no exception. I didn't know that, but it certainly features. It certainly yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And, and I also, mean, it's a lovingly created mm, piece of work. Well, it's,
1: there's so much of the visual language of Parliament as well because the, 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 the metal surround on which it's based is a portcullis yes, as well, which is, I mean, it's wonderful that she has... Um, try to work with the environment she has so much, just so much visual language of Parliament in this artwork.
2: It's beautiful. Yes, and it's the arrival, if you like, the very graphic, powerful, irresistible entrance of and interception by her image onto a pretty traditional setting
1: absolutely so you've got the
2: traditional setting of the portcullis and you know if you want to think about the layers of this you know you mentioned a few moments ago laura in introducing this exchange that this piece of work is situated at the entrance to st stephen's hall now there's a significance about that as well because if people come to visit the house of commons the overwhelming likelihood I mean, people can come in other ways, but the overwhelming likelihood is that they will enter via the St Stephen's entrance. And if they enter via the St Stephen's entrance with a view to doing a tour of the house or going to the central lobby or going up into the gallery to observe the proceedings, it is absolutely unavoidable that they will go through that entrance Mm -hmm. to St Stephen's Hall and through St Stephen's Hall. So to put it very simply, and for the benefit of your listeners who perhaps don't regularly visit or maybe never have visited they can't miss it. No,
1: absolutely And this is not an
2: accident. It's put there for a reason. Mm. And it just seems to me that there's a wonderful piquancy about the fact that everybody who comes to the House, whatever his or her politics, whatever his or her age, whatever view he or she may have about feminism, about gender equality, about the suffragettes, they've got to see that image. And I think my feeling is not before time. And if there is, and maybe it's a slightly contrived and strangulated parallel. But if there is a parallel between the first piece of art that I chose, the depiction of Speaker Lenthal, and the second piece of art that I have chosen, namely New Dawn, it's basically this. Keep the best and improve the rest. That's really in a sense what pulls the two together. It's a kind of Factor that conjoins to otherwise completely unrelated images. If you're the Speaker, there are no final victories for Parliament. It's a constant process of assertion of the rights of the legislature and defence of the concept of free speech and truth to power and the importance of recognising the difference between Parliament on the one hand and government on the other. And if you're thinking about the equality cause, or even, dare I say it, the cause of communicating on behalf of Parliament to the country as a whole and wanting Parliament to speak to and be emblematic of Parliament as a whole, well, it seems to me that Mary Branson's image, you know, is a very stark illustration of how we're trying to do things differently now from the way in which perhaps they were done in the past.
1: I think that's a perfect place to leave it. Thanks so much for coming in, John.
2: Well, you have been very tolerant. Thank you. Laura.
1: <laughs> Today, we were talking about two artworks. Firstly, a portrait of Speaker Lenthal attributed to the 17th century artist Henry Pert the Elder. The oil on canvas measures roughly 121 centimetres by 94 centimetres and is surrounded by an ornate gold frame. The portrait of Speaker Lenthal is part of a self-contained collection of portraits of speakers of the House of Commons within the larger parliamentary art collection. It was begun in the early 1800s as a historical collection by Speakers Addington and Abbott, who asked descendants of former Speakers to donate portraits. By 1805, 25 portraits had been acquired, which were displayed in the Speakers' residence. Since 1859, the collection of Speakers' portraits has been on display in Speakers' house, with portraits of successive Speakers being added during their tenure of office. The second artwork we discussed was New Dawn, a contemporary light sculpture by Mary Branson which celebrates women's suffrage. Measuring over six metres high, the artwork is sited at the entrance to St Stephen's Hall and is the first piece of abstract art to be commissioned for permanent display in the Palace of Westminster. The artwork was unveiled on the 7th of June 2016, 150 years to the day since the campaign for women's votes began. The massive scale of New Dawn is intended to reflect the size of the campaign and the unique hand-blown glass scrolls that make up its dawning sun reflect the many individuals who were involved in the movement and the special contribution they made to modern democracy. If you would like to see the artworks we were discussing this week or carry on the conversation further, you can find me on Twitter at Laura Jane Foley. And if you want to discuss the show, please use the hashtag My Favourite Work of Art. The show was recorded at WiseBudder in London. The title music is Blue from Colours by Dimitri Scarlatto. I hope you'll be able to join me next time. Goodbye.